Today, our guest is Colson Whitehead. He's the author of the new book, The Underground Railroad. This is WSJ Speakeasy, your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. Hey, this is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. Today, our guest on the podcast is Colson Whitehead. He's the author of the acclaimed new novel, The Underground Railroad. Colson, thanks for talking to the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, the interesting thing about this book is that it blends both the historical and the fantastical to tell the story of the Underground Railroad, which was a real thing that helped convey enslaved persons to freedom during the time of slavery. But you have a different twist on it. Tell me a bit about that. Sure. Well, um, yeah, I, I think I was not alone in uh, thinking when I was a kid and first heard of the Underground Railroad that it was an actual subway underground, um, uh, which doesn't really make a lot of um, sense. <laughs> it's not really practical. And, of course, you find out that it's not a real railroad and you're disappointed. So um, about 16 years ago, I was finishing a book and I was thinking about that childhood notion. And I thought, you know, what if it actually was a literal underground railroad um, but underneath America? And that's a premise, not much of a story there. Um, so I thought of, you know, what if every state... Um, in the U.S. that the, our protagonist goes through as he or she goes north, um, South Carolina, North Carolina, is a different state of American possibility in that Gulliver's Travels type sense, where each time she goes to a new state, it's a, a new island of experience um, featuring a different take or aspect of America. And of course, the book's primary protagonist is Cora, who's an, an enslaved person who's running away from her plantation in Georgia, and throughout the narrative, you have it dotted with what seem to be actual advertisements of people looking for the runaway slaves. And I want to read one where it's, the headline is $50 reward. Left my house on a Friday evening, the 26th, about 10 o'clock p.m., without provocation, whatever, my Negro girl, Suki. Uh, she is about 20 years of age, of rather a light complexion, has high cheekbones, is slender in her person, and very neat in her appearance. You go on, the ad goes on to say she is at present from appearance a strict member of the Methodist Church in this place and is no doubt known to majority of the members. And really, are those ads real? Yeah, they're real. I mean, um, in, a couple of years ago, the University of North Carolina digitized uh, runaway slave ads from the early uh, 1800s. And yes, I mean, you know, there's a whole mechanism of slavery in place, and that included, what do you do when a slave runs away? Well, you put an ad in the classified, like you do uh, when your pet runs away, and you, you know, put up a sign. And so um, I took four of those, and then, you know, at the end of the book, I, I make one for my protagonist, Cora. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I like being a mimic and doing other people's voices in my fiction, but nothing is quite as a brutal and succinct as the actual article. So I took actual classified ads and stuck them in uh, the book. What's so striking about the ads to me is the fact that against their will, the ads testify to the humanity of the people that they're looking for. Um, you know, they're, they're churchgoers and other things. And also the, the people looking for their enslaved persons seem to be constantly surprised that these people would want to run away from them. Yeah, wandered away for no reason, uh, left left um, without provocation. So yes, I mean, 
they have, you know, they can't step out of their out of themselves and see that they've enslaved these people, reduced them to objects, and that yes, they would run away at the first opportunity if they can, you know, muster the will. Now we seem to be in an interesting pop cultural moment where there are a number of other pop cultural releases that deal with the history of slavery from the coming movie Birth of a Nation, which, which I've seen, which is excellent, to the, re, the, the retelling and reimagining of the miniseries Roots, and of course, farther back, 12 Years, 12 Years a Slave came out, and Django Unchained, and uh, what do you make of why this is happening? Is there a resurgence in the examination of this period, or is this just a, cl- a cluster of things that just happen to have come out around the same time? I think, you know, I mean, uh, you know, there aren't tons of examples. I mean, you know, there are, you know, a, a few things. There's a re- the reboot of Roots, uh, a TV show called um, Underground uh, on cable. Um, but um, since, I'm, since I'm part of the process, it's hard for me to step out and, and think why it's happening. I think uh, in a simple, it's a simple matter of, of um, there are more, African-American writers and screenwriters and directors who are coming into their own. And if you want to tackle America, um, uh, it's sort of um, obvious to tackle slavery. You know, um, that's our joint uh, um, American history, whether you're owned or an owner. So um, uh, how long will it last? How long will it how, how closely are we actually examining history? How much of it would take? Are people taking lessons from it? I'm not sure, but um, uh, I'm glad that there, that there is a community of you know, fellow artists who are tackling this aspect of history. There's a book that recently came out called Underground Airlines by a white writer um, that sort of uh, posits that um, there's a, there's a um, America, much like our America, but the only thing that's different is it's slavery has persisted. And it's a dramatic story, has sort of science fictional elements to it. But the thing that, the reason I bring it up is that it sort of speaks to the whole issue is, can the horror of slavery really be captured in something that takes the form of an entertainment? Is it too serious a subject, too close to the heart to do anything that remotely entertains when you're talking about such horrors? And is it something you thought about when you were writing this book, The Underground Railroad? Um, I think you can do anything if you pull it off. Hmm. And um, a compelling novel is also entertaining, and a, a truthful novel that doesn't flinch from the you know the horrors of slavery can also be entertaining, compelling. So, um, uh, in terms of you know my approach, I my last book was a humor book about the World Series of Poker, and. It allowed me to get all my jokes out of my system. So when I was going to tackle this, I realized that I was going to be talking a different register. Um, it was hard to generate my usual uh, frequency of jokes. And um, uh, I took it as my mandate to uh, be truthful to the experience of slavery as much as I could. And so the first chapter where she's on jo- in Georgia and on her plantation that she runs away from, having that be as realistic as, as I could make it from you know, the vantage point of 150 years later, because I just want to be truthful to everyone who died, everyone who worked in that system, and uh, my own family, who, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know what state they were in, I don't know where they worked, but we didn't come here um, on a tourist visa, so I wanted to be true to their experience. And while I was reading the book, 
uh, again, I was fascinated by the mix of the historical and the fantastical. But other works of literature, of fiction, kept sort of popping up in my head as I read it, from from Cormac McCarthy's The Road to, uh, you know, uh, uh, Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. At one point when some kids stone some people who are accused of harboring um, runaway um, enslaved persons to to Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Are there any sort of literary uh, touchstones that you drew upon to sort of write this book or that inspired you to write the book? Well, I think all, you know, all those people are great. And, you know, those artists have inspired me in different ways. Um, uh, as someone who's uh, had sort of, you know, broader fantastical flourishes, you know, maybe in Zone 1, my, you know, apocalyptic novel, uh, turning the fantastic effects down to a uh, level 1 as opposed to level 10 uh, was important. And rereading Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude, um, sort of gave me a, a, a language uh, of how to keep it keep it simple and concise and on point, as opposed to um, uh, uh, honoring my penchant for digression, which hopefully good digression. But you know, uh, it, you know, I think reading him after 30 years, coming back to that book after 30 years, um, gave me permission to be a little uh, a little more quieter in some of the language and some of the scenes. And of course, there are also some real incidents that came to mind as I was reading your narrative, from you know the Tulsa race riots of 1921. You know, the so-called Tulsa race riot riots basically was a, a angry white mob came in and destroyed um, the part of town where uh, well-to-do um, black folks lived. It, to the, the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, to even the, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, all that seems to be wrapped up in your book. Uh, were those touchstones for you as you were writing this book? Um, I mean, you know, yes and no. I mean, I think there are plenty of riots, like the Tulsa riot, where uh, the white community rose up to extinguish uh, black achievement in its midst. Um, uh, but the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, definitely. Um, you know, once I made the choice to make a literal railroad, I wasn't tied to history. Um, while the um, the time period remains around 1850, that was my benchmark when I was when I was writing it. Even though I don't say it in the book, uh, so technology and slang is centered around 1850. I did leap forward a couple decades to the bad blood experiments, to the eugenics movement, sterilization movement, and um, bring them in because even if they didn't fit fit the facts of 1850, they fit the truth of of a black experience, and so it seemed they were fair game uh, to introduce to Cora's story. It seems that a lot of the book speaks to today and race relations today. For example, at one point you talk about the, the um, uh, I'm going to quote from the book, as the slave owners and forcers, the patrollers were the law, white, crooked, and merciless. The patroller required no reason to stop a person apart from color, Slaves caught off the plantation need passes unless they wanted a licking and a visit to the county jail. That seems to speak to some of the modern controversy about law enforcement and police brutality. Is that something that was in your mind as you wrote the book? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, in, in doing research, the descriptions of uh, the lack of freedom freed slaves had, slaves had, um, 
Uh, obviously, Echoes uh, being stopped by cops now, uh, driving while black, walking down the wrong street, stop and frisk. So um, I didn't have to force those comparisons. I mean, like, I think, that, you know, the passage you read, um, I think, uh, captures both moments. Uh, um, a, a Freeman uh, walking to the store 150 years ago, a slave on an errand, and, uh, you know, young black males walking down the streets of their own neighborhood. They're subject uh, to being stopped and interrogated. And you better have your papers or else uh, you're in trouble. Okay, we're going to pause for a moment and be right back with author Colson Whitehead talking about his new novel, The Underground Railroad. Hey, this is Stephen Perlberg from the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Are you interested in the biggest changes in the media and advertising business from Facebook to Snapchat? Tune into the WSJ Media Mix podcast for interviews with some of the biggest names in media, from Gawker CEO Nick Denton to Turner President David Levy. For more, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Hey, this is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. I'm talking to author Colson Whitehead. He has a new novel out, The Underground Railroad. Of course, Colson is also the author of such acclaimed works as The Intuitionist and John Henry Days. Colson, thanks a lot for talking to The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for having me. Okay, you know, this is a short story collection that came out a number of years ago called What We Talk About When We Talk About Anne Frank by Nathan Englander. And in the title story for that short story collection, the characters play this game called the Anne Frank game. And uh, the the characters in the story are are Jewish. And the game they play is sort of a thought experiment where they imagine who of their friends who are not Jewish would hide them if there were a second Holocaust. Yeah, uh, Nathan is a a genius. And that's a a great story collection and and a great story. Yeah. And I kept thinking of that story and that collection and, and that thought experiment as I was reading your book, The Underground Railroad, because it seemed to so speak to today. And is that something you thought about when you were writing this book? I mean, who of your friends in the five boroughs would possibly hide you if something like this were occur, to occur again? Because it seems so real and so today, even though your book is set in the 19th century. Um, I didn't play that game, although you know I do play various grim existential games um, in my life, but uh, not that one particularly. But there is like you know a sort of uh, interesting thing that's been happening. And in, in talking about the book, you know, I, I, I'm a big consumer of horror and science fiction, and you know, you watch a movie where a meteor comes and it destroys Manhattan, and I always think, well, it would have been Manhattan, but you know, that day I probably would have been away on business or something. Like, I would have been like the one percent that you know, survives the apocalypse, is immune to the pathogen that's killing off society. And so you know, that's my kind of projection uh, into that situation. And I think, you know, I think the, um, the beauty of the Underground Railroad story and the, you know, the heroism of people who either harbored slaves uh, or took it upon themselves to escape and make that leap of faith, it, it, it makes people, you know, it, it brings out people's, most hopeful idea of themselves. And so I can think, you know, I would have, I would have run uh, if I'd been on a plantation, but obviously, you know, I probably wouldn't have. I would have just died uh, on the place that I was born, worked to death. Uh, and, and this story allows you to play that thought experiment, that hopeful experiment that you would have been courageous enough to take that step. And I think for white readers, you know, most white 
people 150 years ago were not abolitionists. They were not helping out on the Underground Railroad. And most of them, the same way we do today, were not necessarily clued into other people's suffering or, you know, or helping out the way we should. But the idea of whites who, at risk of their own lives, harbored fugitives, helped them along, raised money in abolitionist societies, uh, printed abolitionist literature, um, you know, you, you can say, yes, I definitely would have helped a slave escape. I definitely would have helped the movement. Uh, when, you know, just in terms of numbers, uh, you probably didn't. You probably just went on with your life. And so um, so I think that's a kind of thought experiment that the story is bringing up in people. Like, I would have been the one who who ran. I would have been the one who helped when, you know, just the numbers of history are against that, that sort of fanciful story. The other thing that really struck me about the book is – um, and uh, is the, the the constant violence or threat of violence? I mean, there's a striking scene where one enslaved person who's recaptured is 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 whipped in front of a, a group a, a party that the, a party of white people as they watch and sort of continue with their party as he's whipped and he's later doused in oil and burned and his you know it, it, and it gets worse. I can't say all of it on on the air, but it, it's it's pretty. Horrific, and what made me really struck me about that is I wondered: um, Have people changed? Is there something in the human spirit that's changed since then, where we could no longer people would no longer enjoy that and have that happening at a party, or is it just that the laws have changed and that that's still within the human spirit and the human psyche somewhere, still within the within the American culture, buried, buried, just buried deeper? And what um, did you uh, think? Yeah, I think it's buried deeper. I mean, we're not constitutionally different. We're not morally different uh, than people 150 years ago. I think... Um, oh, really? Because that, that's a big... If, if that's true, that, that's quite frightening, given some of the horrific episodes in this story, if you think people have not fundamentally changed since then. Well, I think, um, you know, the echoes... Uh, I bring up the Holocaust and the North, North Carolina chapter. The main character is trapped in, in, an, in, a, in an attic and um, is not... And, and, you know, being hidden as slaves were, but also as Jews were uh, in World War II. Um, uh, Syria, um, Iraq, I mean, I think we have a great capacity for cruelty, and we're not so far removed from the stuff, some, from some of the things I described in the story. When, I, I, when trying to figure out what incidents to put in, I would wrestle with things and think, oh, is that too over the top? And then I would do more research or double-check and say, actually, no. I mean, people were roasted alive. As as a an example, so that other slaves wouldn't leave. They were tortured, so other slaves wouldn't leave. Because um, uh, you're losing money each time someone leaves, someone escapes. Um, and you know, they're, they're, you know, the New York Times did a video of the rhetoric at Donald Trump uh, rallies, and it's anti-woman, anti-Muslim, anti-Mexican. It was just like a, a reel of like of you know some of the worst elements in the crowd, and that desire to punish and destroy the other is still alive, you know, within us. And, it's, you know, it's not, I don't think it's particularly American, and I don't think we have a particularly American, um, uh, uh, I don't think we're immune to it just because it is, you know, 2016. Well, here's another question I have is, you know, recently in Michelle Obama's speech to the Democratic National Convention, and she observed the fact that uh, the White House was built in part by slaves. 
And as a follow-up, Fox talk show host Bill O'Reilly observed that, that in his view, these slaves were, quote, well-fed and had decent lodgings provided by the government. And that created an uproar because, of course, if you're enslaved, you're enslaved. It doesn't matter how nice your lodgings are, which they apparently weren't, or who they were provided by. It's, 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 a, it's a horrific situation. But my question is, do you think that a lot of people still have um, uh, uh, um, don't really know the history of slavery and the, the circumstances that most slaves were were, um, were 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 enslaved in, and and what can change that? Well, yeah, yeah, I think that yeah, the pure brutality of the slave system is actually too awful to contemplate, and you know, I think it's not it definitely wasn't taught to me in elementary school or high school. You know, I think we're taught that. Suddenly there was a civil war, and the slaves were freed, and Abraham Lincoln stepped up. And then 100 years later, Martin Luther King gives this great speech in Washington, and suddenly things are better. Um, you know, you know, we, I, I was talking about human nature before in a, uh, in a very negative way, but I think we do improve as people. But progress is, is just, you know, uh, quite slow. And to have a, a true reckoning with the aftermath of slavery – um, it's difficult. No one wants to talk about it. Uh, no one wants to. Uh, no one wants to own up to the fact that they once owned people. And 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 for my part, you know, when I had the idea for the story many years ago, I didn't want to go and read all the history and get deep enough to really understand it, um, because it's uh, um, it's it's terrible and it's and it's brutal and it's hard to contemplate. And it's hard to believe that your parents went through it. And I assume if you, your great-grandparents owned people, it's hard to contemplate that you, your family owned people. And so it is difficult. Uh, what's going to make it – what's going to change it? I mean, uh, having that frank talk about race that people always seem to want to have and never actually end up having, I guess. I'm not sure. But what's interesting as well is that from the African-American perspective, you know, I – you know. A lot of my friends, some of my relatives, they don't necessarily want to go see a film that deals with slavery or watch a TV show that deals with slavery or read a book that deals with slavery, not because they don't acknowledge the importance of the history, but because they're already facing so many difficulties in their life, it feels like one more thing added onto it when maybe something more uplifting would be better in their lives. Is that something you've encountered? And what do you say to people who have that feeling about coming to terms with slavery in literary or fictional works? Well, if you, if you want to understand America and also human nature and the way the world works, I think you have to uh, contemplate slavery and come to some sort of reckoning with it. Um, however, life is, you know, I'm not going to say you have to read histories and read this novel, read my novel. Um, life, is, life, life is pretty hard. Uh, just day to day for many people, and I, I understand not wanting to um, uh, spend their time with something that's going to be upsetting. So, um, yes, everyone is a much more rounded person when we're uh, aware of how the world works and history, and how we're shaped by history, and how we have a hand in shaping history. I also understand that after working all day and trying to get food on the table, uh, you might want to watch. Um, top chef, and I think that's fine. <laughs> now, uh, one plot point that I wondered about as I was reading the book, 
you know, your lead character, the protagonist, Cora, she's escaped her plantation. Um, she's being hunted by a slave catcher named Ridgeway. And at one point, she has a chance to kill him, but but doesn't. Um, and I'm not giving any, I don't want to give anything away, but why does she make that choice? Um, well, it's, you know, I'm not talking about, uh, don't want to get to the spoilers of the book, but, um, uh, she's not made of the same stuff as Ridgeway. You know, Ridgeway, the slave catcher who, um, uh, is chasing her for a lot of the book, is a manifest- manifestation of a poisonous, um, American idea that, uh, might make strike. If you can hold on to it, it's yours. And, um, uh, um, Everyone else, uh, the immigrants who come after you, the black people you subjugate, uh, the Native Americans you've stolen from, are uh, are lesser uh, lesser beings, and that's not necessarily Cora's way of dealing with the world. Even though she is uh, quite angry for many good reasons. Okay, well we've been we've been talking to Colson Whitehead. His new book is called The Underground Railroad. It's getting rave reviews. Colson, thanks a lot for talking to the Wall Street Journal. It's it's my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Our guest today was Colson Whitehead, the author of the acclaimed new novel, The Underground Railroad. For more podcasts, check us out at wsha.com slash podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.